Good morning and welcome to our first service on Sunday morning. We have two, the first of which is our Bible prophecy update that we do weekly and have for many, many years now. And then second service is the sermon, which is actually a verse by verse teaching through the word of God. We're currently in the book of Hebrews, actually almost done with the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to look at the dangers of strange teachings and how to first discern them so as to then reject them. So we'll live stream that at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time and would encourage you to join with us. For those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, uh, we would encourage you to go directly to the website, jdfrog.org. There you will find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, I'm going to get right to it. <laughs> I'm actually going to just get right to the point and say that we're now at the point where our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Namely, our blessed hope, as we affectionately refer to it, of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, which, if you think about it, is not actually just blessed or even hope. And I'll explain why I say that. Certainly, it is blessed and it is our hope, but it's not hope in the sense that I sure hope. No. And it's not just our blessed hope. It's our only hope. And it's not just this hope. It's this truth. It's the only hope, the only truth that we have, and that truth is Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, not a way, the truth, not a truth, and the life, not a life. And there's no way to the Father except through me. He's our only hope. Now, this is actually from Titus chapter 2. We did a verse-by-verse study through the book of Titus somewhat recently. I want to, if you don't mind, read verses 11 through 15. Now, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing to Titus, who's a pastor and teacher of God's Word. And God inspires him to write this letter, this epistle to Titus to encourage him and to also instruct him. And he says, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait, wait for it, (laughs) while we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope, huh? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then he says this, verse 15. These, then, are the things you should teach. Oh, wait, what are the things that I should then teach? 
Oh, the blessed hope. The appearing, the appearing of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. I should be teaching those things. And then he says, encourage. Yeah, I can do that. We all want to be encouraged. And rebuke. Okay, wait a minute. (laughs) I don't want to do that. And I sure don't want to be on the receiving end of a rebuke. But it's packaged right here along with the word encourage. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. And then he says this. Do not let anyone despise you. Really? Why would Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, write to Titus about not letting anyone despise him? Was it that there were those that despised him? Yeah. Why? Because he was teaching these things that he ought to teach. He was encouraging and rebuking with all the God-given authority. And the result of it was that there were those that despised him because of it. I find that interesting. And truly, whenever it comes to the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church of Jesus Christ, it is always met with this. That alone should be very telling. That alone. I will never cower. I will never falter. I will never be intimidated. I will never be silenced when it comes to the teaching and preaching of sound doctrine, specifically as it relates to the return of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. I will speak the truth in love because of love, because it's the truth. It's our only hope. And this is the truth. This is also what John talked about in his first epistle, chapter 3. I want to read verses 2 and 3. It comports with what the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus concerning the rapture, this blessed hope, this only hope, this only truth. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says this, all who have this hope. In Him, purify themselves just as He is pure. Translated, the ones who live their lives in anticipation of this hope, this blessed hope, this only hope that we have, because that's the only way we're getting out of this, by the way. We're not getting out of this unless Jesus comes and takes us out of this. That's the only way we're getting out of this. That's our only hope. But it's the ones who have this hope in Him that are the ones that get serious 
about their relationship with Jesus Christ. They get their affairs in order. They tie up the loose ends. And in so doing, in addition to tying up loose ends, they also loosen whatever grip they had left on this world and the things of this world. I think you would agree that what's happened to the world in the last two years has in some measure had this much needed effect. Specifically, that of first bringing people to the point of hopelessness in this world and the things of this world so as to point people to Jesus. I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but had it not been for all of this, it is very doubtful that many people would have turned to Jesus. And we will not know of them until the rapture. And at that time, I think we're in for a very big surprise. Can't wait. Okay, we have a problem. The problem is, is that the vast majority of people are still putting their hope in science and in this world system. And dare I say, in a president. Notice I didn't say the president. A president. A government. I'll take it a step further and suggest that many professing Christians and even pastors are numbered amongst those still holding on to hope in this dying world. And there may be reasons for this or an explanation for this, but none are more telling than one's love for this world and the things of this world. And this is what John also writes by the Spirit in his first epistle, chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here's the truth. According to a myriad of prophecies in the Bible, this is how the world ends, and this is when the world ends. Sadly, the ones who still hold out hope that somehow things will turn around, things will get better, and even go back to normal, are the same ones who do not believe what I just said, that this is how it ends, and this is when it ends. If you'll kindly allow me to, I want to... <laughs> For the remainder of our time, and very simply and very humbly and reasonably and logically 
And more importantly, biblically, I want to examine, revisit, what holding out hope for things in this world to get better would actually look like. And I, I'm appealing to reason now. I want to be reasonable. I think about what God through the prophet Isaiah wrote about, come, let us reason together. <laughs> Let's be reasonable. Though your sins be as scarlet, I, I have made them white as snow. But we need to reason together. We need to sit down and, and we need to reason together. You need to be reasonable. James says that the wisdom that comes from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated. It's reasonable. I, I, I want to appeal to you on the basis of reason. But in order to do that, we're going to go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook and redirect you to the website. Okay. What follows, in no particular order, is a list that I created, spent quite a bit of time on it, prayerfully, carefully. It's a list of what would need to happen, not just need to happen, but need to happen immediately, like right now, if there is to be any hope for and in this world. So. Let's go through this, and can we just kind of reason together through this? Was that a yes? <laughs> I wasn't quite sure on that. <laughs> Some of you were saying, I don't know, why don't you start, and I'll get back to you. Okay. Number one, any and all injections would have to stop now. Worldwide now. Also, <laughs> masks would no longer, I'm going to say be required, but I'll take it further and say be worn. You would not see any more masks being worn. That's number one. Number two, those who have had an injection would need to stop having adverse events, like right now. That would need to completely stop. Number three, how are we doing so far? Okay. Well, it gets worse, so. Any and all of the satanic evil agendas perpetrated on the world's population would need to end immediately. Wait, you mean there's more? Oh, <laughs> there's more satanic evil agendas? You have no idea. They would need to end immediately. Number four, people would have to cease from dying by the tens of thousands. And by the way, when I say tens of thousands, it could be argued that that is conservative by some estimates. People would just need to right now stop dying from this injection. Number five, the global economy and supply chain would have to be instantly restored. Because see, right now, uh, there's nothing really in the pipeline, so to speak. And if you were somehow able to instantly restore the supply chain now, you've still got a window of time, downtime, maybe better said, before it starts replenishing that which heretofore, by design, by the way, has been depleted and disrupted by design. Number six, I have 98 of these, so no, 
There's 10. I probably should have told you that before. There's only 10. We're halfway through, so hang in there. There could be 98, actually. Number six, there would have to be an admission of a massive deception on a global scale. Number seven, and this one is a biggie. They're all biggies, but this one hits a little bit closer to home in a heartbreaking way. All businesses, and especially churches, would need to reopen now and never, ever, ever, ever shut their doors again. Ever. I'm sorry. Number eight, the world's laborers would need to go back to their employment immediately. And number nine, the hospitals would have to actually start treating the sick and stop killing them for money. I have to speak the truth. And number 10, the world would need to somehow recover with a modicum of normalcy swiftly. Okay. That's my list. I mean, it's not exhaustive, obviously. Certainly, much could be added to it. But can I just ask you a question? And this is not rhetorical. I genuinely want to ask you this question. Does what I just read, this list of ten, does that in any way seem reasonable to you? Is this list of ten that I just read, does that seem absurd to you that that is what would need to happen? Maybe I should repose the question this way. Is, Is this that I read, do you, do you see that as being plausible? That all of this could happen right now? Especially given the current trajectory prophetically? Would you agree with me that not only is this highly implausible, actually... The opposite is true in the sense that not only will that not happen, but what will happen will continue to get worse seemingly with each passing day. Let's just take one, the supply chain. Make no mistake about it, those shelves in the store... They're going to get emptier and emptier in the days ahead, and even now are. Do you know why? Because they want to dismantle and destroy the global economy to usher in a digital cashless system, exactly like we're told in the book of Revelation. Right on schedule to be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation. It's right on schedule. 
So there's a controlled demolition. I use those words deliberately and for good reason. And some of you know why, by the way. And I'm thankful for that. But it's a controlled demolition of the global economies and the global governments to bring in a one-world economy and a one-world government under the control of the Antichrist who's already alive and well on the scene. So now, if we're being reasonable, we're being reasonable, right? (laughs) You're supposed to say, yes, we're very reasonable. (laughs) I'm working on the levity here. I obviously... This is very somber, I realize, and sobering, and needs to be. But I want to ask another question, and please hear my heart, and the Lord knows my heart. But other than loved ones getting saved, why would anyone want to keep this world on life support? Especially for, pardon me, the believer in and follower of Jesus Christ. You know that we've long overstayed our welcome in this world, not our home, right? Here's another question. I have a lot of questions, I guess, today, so... And please know, when I ask these questions, I ask myself these questions as well. So this question is, shouldn't there be an excitement and an anticipation of that trumpet sounding and the dead in Christ rising first and We who are alive and remain being caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. Shouldn't there be this hope in the truth that Jesus is going to catch us away and take us to the place he told us he's preparing for us? John's Gospel, chapter 14. We quote it often, don't we? When Jesus says to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. I have to go. And by the way, you want me to go. (laughs) And they were freaking out because they're not going to have Jesus with them anymore. And that's why Jesus tries to encourage them and comfort them and say, I'm going to, if I go, then I can send you the Holy Spirit. So you won't just have God with you. Now you're going to have God in you. (laughs) Where do I sign for that? That's perfect. You know, one thing, just parenthetically, let me throw in here because I, I think it'll maybe be an encouragement to you. I know it is to me, but, you know, we always marvel at the disciples and those who were alive when Jesus was here in his public ministry. Wow, what what would that have been like? And we even take it further and say, you know, I can't wait to meet them when we get to heaven. Man, I can't wait to meet the Apostle Paul. And I can't. I got a whole list. I'm sure you do too. Paul's right there at the top. David, Jeremiah, I mean Mike, Elijah. I really want to meet Elijah, especially Elijah. Noah, I want to meet Abraham. I mean, the list just goes on and on. I really want to meet Esther, by the way. Oh, wow. Mordecai, dude. (laughs) I mean, wow. Have you ever thought to yourself that they would want to meet you? Let's just talk about the disciples. Let's actually 
let's talk about one specific disciple, Thomas, who gets a lot of bad press. I think a lot of people are going to owe Thomas an apology when they get to heaven. Peter is going to be right behind him, too. <laughs> I mean, what's this doubting Thomas? Really? You know what Jesus said to him, right? You're blessed because you see and believe. But how much more are those going to be that believe but don't see what I'm showing you and you see? That's us. They had Jesus right there, not us. I mean, I just wonder. I just stay with me on this. I think they're thinking, I can't wait to meet them. Because they didn't have Jesus. <laughs> they weren't there with Jesus, and yet they, they did not see what we saw. And they believed. So, back to this question of excitement and anticipation. In Jesus coming to take us to that place that he prepared for us in his father's house. Which, by the way, is a bridal chamber. Where the bridegroom would go and prepare the place for his bride. This bridal chamber where they would consummate and celebrate their marriage together for a period of seven. And at the end of the seven, they would emerge from this bridal chamber having consummated and celebrated their marriage together. And they would have a huge feast known as the wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of the seven. So when Jesus is saying this to the disciples that I'm going to prepare, they, they would have gotten that. They would have connected those dots. And they would have been greatly encouraged by that, even though they were very unsettled knowing that he had to go, that he was going to go to the cross. But he was going to go to prepare a place for them, for us, that where he is there, we may be also. And if it were not true, he would not have told us that he goes to prepare a place for us. So here's the thing. He's coming back to take us to that place that he's been preparing for us. Wow. Can't wait. <laughs> Neither can he, by the way. What do you mean? Oh, every time we partake together of the communion table and are in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, which we were on Thursday night. He says it no less than two times. I fervently desire to partake with you when this finds its fulfillment in my kingdom. You know what he's referring to? The wedding feast of the Lamb. When what they were doing there in that upper room, celebrating the Passover... We affectionately refer to it as the Last Supper because that's what it was. It was the last time, the last supper, the last Passover celebration. And Jesus said, this is the last time I'm going to eat with you. But here's the thing, you guys. <laughs> the next time I eat with you, it's going to be in my kingdom. Just try and get your mind around that. We are going to sit with him as his bride by his side at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Wow. But we want to stay down here. 
We don't want that up there. We're not excited about that up there. How is that possible? The only explanation is the roots of one's Christian life are dug down too deep in the temporal soil of this world. Um, When we get to our study in Hebrews today, second service, we're going to talk a little bit about death to self. (laughs) You'd be hard-pressed today to find a church that teaches the true gospel, the word of God, the whole counsel of God, which includes picking up one's cross and denying oneself. I don't want to do that. Dying to self? I don't want that. Well, Jesus said, unless you do that, you are not my disciple. You want to be my disciple? Yes. Then you need to pick up your cross daily. You know the thing about daily? It's daily. It's every day. And follow Him. One more thing on this, and we'll try to bring it in for a close here. Death brings grief. Many of us know a thing or two about grief and sorrow at the death of a loved one. We still grieve, even though we don't grieve as those without hope. But have you ever thought about it as a grieving of death to your life in this world? How about grieving the death of a nation? Grieving the death of a lifestyle. Grieving the death of, and I'll let you fill in the blank, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll have no shortage of things to fill in those blanks. This last week, I I know I am probably very morose, but... If I try to not be, it will be manufactured. It won't be genuine. I, I just, I'm, I'm grieving. I really am. I mean, it's over. The world is dying. The world is passing away. And it is a process of grieving. You know, when our daughter Noel died, we knew that she was dying. And we had to come to terms with that. And it was a process of grieving. And really the hardest thing was just letting her go. And that's usually the hardest thing when it comes to grief, isn't it? Letting, letting them go. Many years ago on the mainland, I, dear friends of mine, he came to Christ and um, I had the privilege of being a part of his life and he was part of my Bible study that I was teaching at the time in the business community and and he ended up getting cancer and and uh, going home to be with the Lord, but not before his wife came to Christ. And the way it happened was so powerful. So we had been praying for her salvation for years. 
And she was a pretty staunch Mormon and, you know, just kind of closed off to the gospel. And she was very supportive of Cecil and his love for the Lord. And so here he is. He's not lucid at the time. He's kind of in and out. You know how that is towards the end. And for those of you that have been at the bedside of a someone who's dying and you know they're kind of in and out of consciousness and so we're sitting there and I just have this strong sense from the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't go home to be with the Lord until he knew that she had come to the Lord And that sense was followed up by this still small voice of the Holy Spirit. You know how that is. You can't get away from it. It was like the Lord saying, you need to share that with her. It's like, no. (laughs) So I did. I just said, you know what? I said, I don't think he has permission to go to be with the Lord yet. Until you come to a saving knowledge, a true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And she just broke down. And she wept. And she poured her heart out and gave her life to Christ. Instantly, he was lucid. Up to that point, he was not lucid at all. And then we prayed. And he said, yes. And he died right then. I mean, I just was so blown away. He, he wouldn't go until she came to him. <laughs> He would not go to be with him. What's my point? I have a point, actually. Believe it or not, I know it's shocking sometimes, but it takes me a while to get there. I like to take you on the scenic route, you know. (laughs) Here's my point. Sometimes we... We won't let go because we're still holding on. And that's the only thing to me that makes any sense at all as to why it is that people don't want that trumpet to sound and Jesus to come because they're still holding on. Let go. Let go. I mean, if you don't hear anything that I'm saying today, please hear this. Jesus is coming sooner than any of us think. Just let this world go so we can go. One last thing. I haven't said one last thing yet, right? (laughs) And please hear me on this, too. I think about what Peter says. You know, we know prophecy is of man's interpretation. You know, we're not believing in these cunningly devised fables. No, these are, these are, there is forensic evidence There is factual proof and the preponderance of evidence biblically and prophetically proves beyond any reasonable doubt that Jesus is coming. And this is our only hope. 
And I just want to say to anyone who is still holding out hope in this world, I, I say this as lovingly as I possibly can. You are in for a rude awakening. I'm, I'm sorry to use that word. It's, that word's been hijacked. Arabs shouldn't use hijacked either, but there's another word too. But for lack of a better one, you're in for a surprise. If you're still holding out hope that life is going to return to any semblance of normalcy, it is not. It is not. This is how it ends. And this is when it ends. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, this ends in the rapture. And if you are not, this ends in the seven-year tribulation, which is unspeakable horror for the last seven years of human history before the second coming. That's how this ends. And this is when this ends. And please check me. And don't take my word for it. You be a Berean. And you search the scriptures. And you see if what I've shared with you today is true or not. This is the truth. The world is dying. It's just a matter of time. Life support. Well, one more. Maybe this is the Holy Spirit. Before my parents died, I sensed from the Lord that I was to put together a, a living trust and physicians' directives. They were not well at all. And the firstborn son, traditionally in my culture, is always the one to take care of the parents in their old age, which I did. God blessed it. Blessed me for it. I'm sorry I'm so weepy today. <laughs> My mom was in the hospital and she was in a coma and I got a call from the doctor and the doctor was basically saying, hey, it's just really a matter of time now. And uh, I said, well, we have physicians' directives. And I said, I'll be right in. And I, I brought in the, you know, directives. And because I had that discussion as difficult as it was with both my mother and my father. Okay, so what, what do you want me to do? And both of them said, you do not, we, we just want to <laughs> go. And so let us go. I was like, no, I don't want to let you go. <laughs> um, so we had the directives, and I met with the doctor, and she said to me these words, because I was really having a hard time carrying out the directives. And she said to me, you're not going to have to pull the plug. That decision is going to be made for you instead of you. And she was right. And my mom, I'm there by her side, and I'm holding her hand, and the line went, you know, straight, flat-lined, and she opened up her eyes, and she lifted up her hands, and was ushered into the presence of the Lord. And I didn't have to do it. I did have to let her go, though. That's where we're at, my friends. <laughs> we have to let this world go. We have to let it go. I was thinking about this, that we've been doing these prophecy updates for... Um, Oh, my, uh, 16, 17 years now, I think. 
and I have to confess I didn't ever imagine that I would be standing before you today as is my privilege to every week and be talking to you as seriously and urgently as I am today. I mean, that's how close we are. But this is why we do these updates, and this is why we end with the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is also why we do the ABCs of salvation, which is a simple explanation of salvation. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you've sinned and that you need the Savior. Because <laughs> if you don't acknowledge that you're a sinner, then you're not really interested in the Savior. Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one. <laughs> and Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Every single one of us was born a sinner, which is why we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. Romans 6.23 starts off with the bad news first, which is that the wages of sin is death. It's the death penalty. But, and here's the good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the B, which is really central in the ABCs, is actually as simple as B. <laughs> believe. Just believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And it's important to understand that Jesus had to be resurrected to defeat death because the penalty for sin is death. So if he's going to pay in full for sin, he has to go to his death and resurrection in order to complete that payment. And the C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And Romans 10, 13, lastly, seals the deal. It says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. I wanted to save a little bit of time here for today's but God testimony, which is an absolute miracle. And I've been really looking forward to sharing this with you, it comes from Jamie Arena in Nebraska, who writes, Hi, J.D. I really enjoy watching your weekly messages and prophecy updates. Thank you for your ABCs of salvation. The way you explain it is so simple and easy to understand, and I'm someone who needs it simple. <laughs> I was watching your message, When God Gets My Attention, and it really resonated with me, and I wanted to share my story with you. I was raised in a Christian church, but as I entered high school, I grew further and further from my faith. I hung around the wrong crowd and began partying, which led to many hurts and shame with myself. I became very depressed, and the more depressed I got, the more I turned to alcohol to cope. As I look back at that time in my life, I can see now that God had never left my side and was there comforting me, even though I thought he had abandoned me. In January of 2012, when I was a senior in high school, I was working in a restaurant when I heard the voice of God clearly in my head telling me 
to turn away from drinking. It was so clear that it bothered me for a week. During that time, I did not drink at all. A week went by and I started questioning the voice. Was it really God? I'm sure it was just my imagination. Maybe nothing will happen if I drink one more time. Well, I decided to drink that next Saturday night, driving around with friends, and we ended up in a car accident. The driver lost control, and I remember the impact of hitting a tree, and the next thing I knew, I was trapped underneath the car as my friends were out of the vehicle looking for me. I called them over and told them to help get me out. They pulled me out, and as they shined their phone lights on me, I saw what was left of my right forearm, which everything was severed except for the bone. I had severed an artery, and I was bleeding to death. One friend immediately started running to get cell reception to make a 911 call as we were out in the middle of nowhere. One friend took their shirt off and tied a tourniquet and held my arm up. I could feel myself dying, and I was scared. I told them to tell my parents I was sorry and love them. And then I did the only thing I felt could help me in that moment. I turned to God. I shouted at the sky pleading with God to save my life. Well, everything had to work out just perfectly because... I got a ride to the emergency room and was safe. The doctor didn't understand how I survived because I should have bled out within minutes with my injury, but it was well over 30 minutes before I even got to the ER. When they went back in the morning, they discovered that I had landed in a pothole exactly my size that prevented me from being crushed by the car. When I look back at it, God's hand was in the whole thing, protecting me from death. It was a long recovery, and I wish I could say that after that I completely turned back to God, but I became angry for seven long and painful years. But God used that time to shake me up, as you put it in your message, and I'm so glad he did because the path I was going down was leading me to eternal death. I am a follower of him now, married with three beautiful little boys who I get the privilege of raising to know him. He is such a good God, and I am thankful that he saves those that call upon his name. I love him so much. I'm so thankful for your messages and hope. To see you in heaven one day. We'll take you up on that. God bless you, Jamie from Nebraska. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand? I hope that is an encouragement to you. I know many of you have been on the receiving end of an absolute miracle. Irrefutable, undisputable, unmistakable. Where God did it in such a way that you knew it had to be him because there was no other way. And maybe you're here today and you need a miracle. I want to encourage you that God is still in the miracle business. <laughs> he still does miracles. Can't wait to share with you one that took place just this last week. Oh, many miracles. Oh, if you could just read my inbox. Actually, I don't know if you should do that. But <laughs> if you could, you would be so encouraged by all the testimonies that come in, the miracles, just the goodness of God. One last thing, and then we'll pray, and I appreciate your patience. I don't know how else to uh, say this, but... If you've never called upon the name of the Lord and put your faith in Him, believed in Him, <laughs> or maybe like the testimony we just read, you're kind of distant from the Lord and not walking with the Lord. And, but God is faithful, God is gentle, and God is patient with you. And he's, been, he's never left you or forsaken. You'll never do that. He'll never abandon you.
But he's been trying to get your attention throughout all of this. Does he have your attention now? If he does, please don't blow him off or shine him on. (laughs) Heed that voice as he speaks into your life. Because today is the day of salvation. Do not delay any longer the most important decision of your life for eternal life. Because when he comes and he's coming and that trumpet sounds, we're out of here. And we're going to be up there with him. And I want to take you with me. Do you want to go? All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Lord, I did my best, so now the Holy Spirit needs to do the rest. Will you take it from here now and take these things that you put on my heart to speak and share and now take it to the next level? In the hearts of us, your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.